Welcome to Consuming Crime with Jules and Jen. I'm Jen. I'm Jules. So we're, we don't even have like a little intro song yet. Like, so this, welcome to our first podcast. I think that's enter, Jeopardy. Enter right? intro song. Yeah, we don't have an intro yet, but our, our uh, intro song guy has been lagging. So we made our own. Do, 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 do. Is that the doodle bobs? <laughs> <laughs> I think that... Intro, in, insert jingle eventually. We're getting there, guys. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Crystal Gaslanovich case. This is something that I chose because I was on the internet and I'm fascinated with cold cases that were later solved because nothing's more frustrating than like hearing a whole story and then not getting a conclusion, which I'm sure is worse for families of the victims. So I think it's nice that there's technology and that it's advancing because it helps a lot when it comes to crime solving. And it's just so satisfying. <laughs> it is It is so frustrating though hearing, and I hate when podcasts don't disclose if something is solved or not but i don't think that i'm gonna disclose it though because then it might then it might like make someone not want to listen you know like i don't know if i would listen to a case if they were like oh by the way no one solved this but here's the case like i wouldn't want to know i want a conclusion you know well i feel like if the case isn't solved it's hmm it can be there like a missing it can be considered like a missing person case but if they have the body then it's I feel like it's usually for support to the family in hopes that somebody ha- does have some information. So I can see why a lot of um, these cases are broadcasted and promoted because they, they need all the help they can get. Yeah. I think as long as the initial medical examiner does their due dil- diligence and collects everything, like in the case I'm about to talk about, then it's fine because... They can test it, whereas if they just leave the body, obviously it decomposes, evidence is, like, contaminated, DNA is contaminated, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about the, today I'm going to be talking about the case of Crystal Bislanovich. Um, so back in, on December 16th, 1995, at around 8.40 in the morning, there were two ranchers, or it was a rancher and his son, actually, they are walking down the Provo River in Utah, and the son spotted a body by the river, like in the rocks area. And at first he thought it was a mannequin, but then it's, as like Crime Junkie says, it's never a mannequin. So they got closer and noticed it was a body and they called the police. So the first responder was a sheriff by the name of Todd Bonner. And at the time he was just a deputy. So he saw it and he, so the woman was laying face down in the rocks and she was nude. He saw that she had reddish brownish hair and she had blood all around her head area and all the way going down her back. So immediately he was able to tell that it was a murder and he called backup. Um, At that point, they closed off the scene, put up all that tape. And at this point, we have to remember too, like preserving evidence is really difficult as it is, especially back in the 90s. So, and it's outdoors, so it's like, there's more air, there's more contamination and all that. So then they're looking at the body and they see that there is a puncture wound on the bottom of one of her feet, um, which was probably from her running from her killer. And then also nearby, there was a pair of socks and one of them had a hole in it. So 
I don't know. I know we talked about it, but that to me was kind of odd because I don't know if that means that she was comfortable enough to stop, take off her socks, and fold them, put them away, and then keep running. Like, how? I mean, if I'm being attacked, I'm not taking off my socks. Yeah. Holes, anything on my socks, I'm keeping those puppies on and running. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I thought that was weird. Anyway, so they turn her over to look at the front of her and her face was like brutalized to like they it was like disfigured like whoever beat her it was obviously he was obviously pissed it was like a murder of passion there was even some blood that was on rocks that weren't near like weren't too close to her body so it was like he picked up a rock beat her with it put it down picked up another rock beat her with it put it down and some of the rocks were the size of a softball all the way up to like a, the size of a bowling ball. She also had two tattoos. One of them looked like a cross overlaying an X. And then the other one said Chris over two hearts. So that could be a hint. Chris could be like a boyfriend, an ex-boyfriend, um, her husband, I don't know. So her body was taken to a medical examiner. It was determined that her cause of death was a fatal blow to the skull, uh, which is what officers had determined anyway and the examiner said that she suffered at least 16 blows to the face and head so her time of death was between 8 and 10 hours from the time that they found her body which puts her death between the hours of 11 p.m and 1 a.m so they took the dna from underneath her fingernails and at the time the medical examiner rudy reet was the examiner i mentioned that did his due diligence and said we need to collect hair we need to collect fluids seminal fluids everything and just preserve it because i know that technology will advance eventually so that's what he did in order to identify this jane doe the sheriff put her tattoos her identifying tattoos um sent it to the press they received a phone call that same night at like 11 o'clock from a man named chris welker if you recognize the name it's the same name as the tattoo so we're getting somewhere Chris identified her as a woman by the name of Tracy Veslanovich. So, at, immediately, he's the number one person of interest because he's the only one that knows who she is, plus his name is on her body. And so they go to see him at the motel hotel they were living in, and they start questioning him. And he says her name is Tracy, uh, also known as Baby T in the streets. So Tracy and Chris moved in together five to six months prior to the finding of her body and then it wasn't until like even a couple months before that that they met they met a year ago moved in together after a few months and when they met she was a runaway and she was in and out of youth homes all the time um i don't know if i mentioned she was only 17 years old she was also the only one working and she was a sex worker she worked um with other women that lived in the motel they were staying at and she only ever went in the seven block radius that they were at so the night that she went missing she left um, their place at like eight o'clock went to the circle k to grab a quick bite to eat and then she just never came back at around 11 o'clock chris went to talk to the store clerk and he had never seen her he didn't see her that night which means she never made it to the convenience store he said that she had never stayed out that late before, so as to why he didn't call the police, I don't know. 
Um, it may make him look suspicious to the police. I don't think he looks suspicious, but I go based on ed- evidence. Do you think it's also because of her sex worker job? Maybe he was like, oh, he probably just picked a job up or she probably... Somebody probably reached out to her, maybe like a customer that she had worked with prior and maybe just... Oh, like she was just working and that's why she was out all night? Yeah, kind of just like he didn't think it was strange because like maybe she ran into somebody and took a Mm -hmm. job last Mm -hmm. minute and didn't think it was a big deal. It's possible. I mean, if we're giving him the benefit of the doubt, then yeah, for sure. Um, The police weren't, but that's probably because they like didn't have anything else to go by. So they just went with what they had. And, I mean, usually with brutal murders, it is somebody they know, and it is more emotion tied to it. Especially with how brutal her death was. Like, it has to be somebody she knew and would even feel that type of, like, passion towards her. Oh, I didn't even mention. So, Chris said that she had a phobia where she would never take off her socks. And the only time that she would take off her socks is when she would take showers. So, I don't know if that tells us anything about... Who killed her? But I'm just throwing that in there. Uh, The next day on December 17th, they called Tracy's father to inform him of her death. And Tracy's father said, "Um, no, Tracy's not dead. She's right here in her bed sleeping. Creepy. Right? Like, what the fuck? Okay, so uh, it's not actually as mysterious as it sounds. He said, you must be talking about my stepdaughter, Crystal Bethlanowicz. So, you know what's funny? (laughs) In the documentary I was watching, they said, like, oh, she's in bed sleeping. And then they cut to commercial, and you're like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Is this stolen identity? Like, and you think it's this really mysterious thing? And it's like, nah, it's just his other daughter. So, apparently, she just... Boring. (laughs) That's what I said. Like, you made me watch this many commercials to tell me that she just uses her sister's name sometimes. Whatever. I'm willing, I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess. Well, the reason that she would do it is because she was always, like, really rebellious and she would do, like, little petty crimes, like, and just, she was in trouble with the police a little bit as a young child, and she'd probably just say, my name's Tracy, just because that's her sister, and it's, like, normal, I guess. You don't use your, do you have a sister? <laughs> I'm going to use my brother's name. <laughs> What is your brother's name? Brian. <laughs> Brianna. I can use Brianna. <laughs> You're not going to get in trouble with the police. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get in trouble, guys. <laughs> um, anyway, the father actually said verbatim, Crystal didn't have a chance in hell. Yeah. So, stepdad was... Kind of a dick. Like, that's that's rude. <laughs> that's... And, I mean, your stepdaughter is dead. They don't know who killed her. Um, you can be a suspect. Yeah, seriously. But he never... They never talked to him past this point. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so they called the ex-wife, and they talked to her, the mom. And so they meet with her in person, and she starts telling them what i just told you about like how she was rebellious she did a lot of little crimes here and there would lie about her name being tracy and um she didn't know anything about the night she went missing she knew about chris though she said she has a boyfriend i think his name's chris 
which means that Chris was probably lying because he knew that she was saying Tracy instead of Crystal. Um, but I don't know. I still feel like this is what you said about like how he's just protecting his his girlfriend. Like he doesn't want to rat her out. I mean, this is the time to rat her out. You know, like to find out who killed her. I feel, but maybe he didn't even know that her name was Crystal. It doesn't really. It's not that big. I mean, her mom wasn't surprised about what happened to her, right? Um. Or was that the stepdad? I don't know that her mother wasn't necessarily surprised, but, like, if Crystal was in and out of youth homes constantly, then I'm sure maybe she wasn't surprised. She just, like, was... She had to have been more upset than the stepfather to say something like, not standing a chance in hell. Yeah, that's true. I just felt like Chris was probably just either trying to stay clear of the situation Mm -hmm. and... I mean, maybe that is all he knew. Possibly. I'm still, I personally, I'm not looking at Chris as like a suspect. But again, this is all they have to go by. And then they go back to Chris and they say, you know, they confront him about lying about her identity. Um, They didn't talk about why he lied or if he, you know, if he even knew what her real name was. But they did start prying a little bit more. Only to realize at the end of the interview, like, A, there's no clear motive. Because she was the only one working. So she was the key to his survival. Why kill her if she's the only one making money in the relationship? He didn't have a job. He also didn't have the means to kill her. She was killed, or her body was found 45 miles from where they lived. So, and he doesn't have a car. So, like, how would he have gotten her there? Like, you know, he doesn't have a clear motive, and he doesn't have the means. So, at this point, they're at a dead end. On December 19th, three days after her body was found, a man by the name of... Herb Fry called, and he was their newest lead. He was a taxi driver, and he knew her. So they called him in and started questioning him. This dude's a little weird. They knew each other fairly well. I guess you could consider them friends. They would grab coffee every now and then, and he would drive her places as well, which means he would have the means to kill her. Um, So he became another suspect, especially when they started questioning mutual friends and they said that this guy was infatuated with her and that he would say things like if if i can't have her no one can which is like i mean that's hearsay that's what the mutual friends were saying he said maybe they were just trying to figure out who killed her i don't know but that's what they said um but on the day of the on the day of the murder He said that he last saw her around noon, so he doesn't know, he knows nothing about who might have killed her. He says, obviously, he said, I had nothing to do with the murder, I didn't touch her, we've never been intimate with each other, nothing. So at this point, he managed to put himself all the way up to the top of the suspect list because he has a motive, and he has the means, he has a car. So he's number one, now Chris is number two. Um, Although, they don't have any evidence linking either of these men to the crime not the evidence that they got though they couldn't test any of it because they collected dna and they didn't really talk about them testing it in the documentary so they really just collect dna just to collect dna back then i mean i feel that back in the day let's say 1990s they probably knew of upcoming projects that maybe, like, these forensic 
teams were working on and they probably knew that in the future technology the technology would be like available for them to test mm -hmm. dna yeah so i feel like that's a huge reason why they would anyway just in case that in the future there is the technology they would be able to catch the criminals mm -hmm. yeah which i'm glad they thought that way yeah it just sucks that like this case is nice because they they figured it out you know they they were able they saved the evidence rudy reed really did his did his due diligence but it sucks with other cases before that because they might not have saved anything but unfortunately the police officers at this point reached a dead end they can have their suspects all they want but there's no evidence so they it's it's a cold case so in 2008 that's when they started working with Sorensen forensics which is a dna testing lab um, they had four of the rocks from the crime scene tested for skin cell dna the primary technique to collect dna back then was uh swabbing they were able to collect a small amount of male DNA. Unfortunately, they couldn't make a full DNA profile. The only thing they could do was create a partial one, which means they could test, they could basically test that against people they already had, um, which is convenient if their suspect is the person that did it. So they tested that um, with Chris and he obliged. He's like, okay, yeah, so he did it and it was negative. So it wasn't Chris. And then with Herb Fry, Sheriff Bonner, who's still working the case, he was very convinced that it was him. So it, it seems to me from the documentary's point of view that he didn't ask him. He just followed him and another detective followed him. And um, the detective went out and smoked a cigarette next to him like they just were talking, smoking cigarettes. And the detective saw what cigarette he put back in the ashtray, picked it up, tested it. It was negative. So, again, they're at a dead end. And Sheriff Bonner expressed extreme frustration. He he had people asking him, why do you even care? Like, she, you know, why do you care so much about a prostitute? And his biggest thing is she's someone's daughter, regardless of what she did, which, what path that she chose to take. And he treated this case very seriously. Fun fact, this dude actually retired in 2016. So he was working in as a Wasatch County Sheriff until 2016. I like him. He's cool. <laughs> Seems like a great guy. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty dope. <laughs> but obviously, he was confident it was Herb Fry and it wasn't, so he's, he's frustrated. So now, back to the drawing board. Fast forward to 2013. One of the detectives was... I think he was like watching TV or something. He was just he wasn't he wasn't looking into it. He was just chilling, and he saw an ad for an MVAC system, which is a new way of extracting DNA from surfaces. And what it does is it releases sterile fluid onto a surface and like loosens the DNA so it can be lifted easier. Yeah. So they went back to Sorensen. <laughs> So they went back to Sorensen Forensics. That is really hard to say. What the fuck? That was... That's the... They went back to the original DNA testing lab. <laughs> so much easier. And coincidentally, they had an MVAC system. They tested the same rocks against... Or they used that system. And they were able to pull a full DNA profile. 
which means that they could run it through the CODIS system, which is what the FBI uses when they... That's basically where all the felons and the convicts are. So they ran it through. And guess what? There was a match. And it linked them to a man by the name of Joseph Michael Simpson, who was in the system. And I have to mention this because it's so... It just kind of blows my mind. He was in the system because he had previously killed someone. He killed someone in Utah... Or he stabbed a man because that guy asked out a girl that he also asked out at work. He, like, followed him home and, like, stabbed him to death. I don't know what the laws are in Utah. But this fool was out on parole for only, like, a few months when he killed Crystal. And let me see. He can he committed that initial murder in oh yeah he was convicted of that murder in 1987 and then he killed her in 95 which means he was only in jail for what what is that like oh i can't math seven years and then when it was on parole and then killed her like how do you get on parole when you're convicted or charged with murder (sighs) dude i hope you can't do that now I don't think you can do that now. I don't think there's bail or any sort of anything. In Utah, though? I don't, Utah. What are y'all doing? Yo, Utah, hit us up. (laughs) We're calling you out. What up? What's up with your justice? I mean, maybe it's... I I I mean, it has to have changed now. I mean, murders were unfortunately so easy to commit back in the day. I mean, back in the day, all they had to go off of was blood type and how do you narrow that down yeah seriously oh yeah and a lot of these stories honestly are gonna be very frustrating in regards to how the justice system handles certain things um but anyway um so at the time of the murder joseph was an airport shuttle driver so he would drive from the airport to a resort and would constantly pass the Provo River area. So he obviously knew the area. I don't, it's unclear whether he had a long relationship with her or whether it was the first time they were meeting. When they found him in the CODIS system in 2013, he was, he had moved to Florida. So Utah granted him permission to move out of state at some point. He moved to Florida and now he was living with his, and now he was living with his family. But they still had to be sure that it was him. So they did the same thing that they did with Herb Fry. They followed him, saw that he was smoking a cigarette, and he threw it on the ground. They collected it, tested it. Of course, it was positive. This way, when they... I think them testing his DNA to double-check was them avoiding the the questioning. This way, they could just arrest him and call it a day. Because it's, it's been like what 18 years at this point so on september 17th 2013 17 years nine months and two days after her murders authorities arrested joseph joseph michael simpson for the murder of crystal baslanovich florida police invited sheriff todd bonner to do the arrest which i think is really cool they did it out of courtesy but it's really i thought that was really nice of them so the prosecutors concluded that on the night of december 15th 1995 shortly after 8 p.m 
Crystal got into Simpson's vehicle. He drove her 45 miles where he initiated a sexual encounter in the vehicle. He must have done something to make her run away nude, still wearing socks. So they were probably doing something in the car. And then he scared her. She ran towards the city lights, punctured her foot, sat down to take her socks off. He grabs her, takes her closer to the river on the rocks, then begins beating her to her last breath. No one heard a thing. No one saw a thing. On December 29, 2016, the jury reached their verdict. He was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life without parole at the Utah State Prison. Shout out to technology. Shout out to Sheriff Todd Bonner, Rudy Reed, the homies, you know. <laughs> I just love how satisfying cold cases are. Well, when they're solved. <laughs> I just love how satisfying solved cold cases are. <laughs> I hope Crystal's death caused a change in your laws, Utah. I... Because, come on now, had he been arrested properly for that charge, she would have been alive. Seriously. if You know, her mom, I didn't mention this earlier, but her mom said that she wanted to be a writer. And she just, obviously, she chose a different path. But she would have been, like, how old now? She was 1795. I can't math. What's 19 plus 5? 24 was 24 plus 17. Alexa. What's 24 plus 17? 24 plus 17 is 41. Oh, yeah. She would have been 41. But, you know. Still young. She's young. She was... She tried to be safe. She stayed in her seven-block radius, and he was just some sick, angry, bratty man, boy. And, yeah. So, anyway, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, you can check out our website, consumingcrime.com, where I will put in the photos. I believe I put a photo of her, a photo of Simpson, a photo of Sheriff Todd Bonner, and then the MBAC system. So There will also be links there to where we got all our information. Yes, so there's sources. Oh, sources. Um, I just watched the Ident- I- Investigate Discovery Network. Yeah. Investigation That's- Discovery. Investigation. ID. Yeah, ID. Because I remember I Googled it and then found it and then... Jen actually found that it's Murder Decoded episode three or four, Murder on the Rocks. So that's where I got all of my information. Um, And yeah, make sure to give us five stars wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. It really does. (laughs) Yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. And bear with us, guys, if you're starting this journey off with us via just this one episode <laughs> yeah yeah we're we're trying this we're working episode. on it mm-hmm. we'll get better we promise yeah promise